Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime. It's the last show of 2019. And we wanted to kick it off with an interesting interview with a gentleman by the name of Paul Benson. As you'll hear, Paul and I met at what's called FinCon back in September, and the two of us really enjoyed talking to each other and the parallel paths that we took in our journey to becoming financial planners and then business owners. Many of you have asked over the years, what's your story? We've heard so much about others, and you are definitely going to hear a bit more of my story in this podcast. Paul is from Australia, so you'll hear that you'll hear that tone in his voice, which was so interesting to interview. If you'd like to scope out his website, hop on over to Financial Autonomy, which I thought was such a cool name, and dig into what his website has to say about people reaching you know, different ages, different living in different countries, their process, and how it's slightly different from that here in the U.S. We hope you've enjoyed all our shows this year, and we specifically hope that you'll enjoy this final show of the year, and it's part two, which will be the first show of next year. We hope you all have a wonderful New Year's. We are so excited about what we have planned for 2020. I can't believe we're actually saying that. So we have some exciting things coming up, and you'll hear more about that in the previews soon. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage, enjoy your New Year's the way that you like it. Nobody's going to judge. It's your preference and enjoy the show. G'day, Amy. Uh, how are you? Fantastic to catch up with you again. I love your greeting. I love that greeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to catch up with you too. There's nothing like talking you know, with somebody with that Aussie uh, accent. It just, it catches you every time. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, likewise, it's great to hear your accent too. And it's nice to have that uh, that contrast. So so for the listeners, uh, Amy and I uh, each host a podcast. Mine is Financial Autonomy. And Amy? It's Wine and Dime. Wine <laughs> and Dime. And so uh, Amy and I met at a conference recently and uh, we had a great conversation, albeit in a fairly noisy environment. So it wasn't too deep. Um, But we thought uh, there might be a great opportunity for us to record a podcast together and uh, share some of some of our background and history, which which had quite a few parallels. 
and and, and share it with both uh, podcast audiences. So uh, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation that we're about to dive into. Well, I am definitely looking forward to it. So. <laughs> So I guess, Amy, what we thought uh, we, we really wanted to talk about, in both our cases, we've been uh, employees, and I guess that's how we you know, learnt our skills and our profession. And I should say, by the way, that both Amy and I are financial planners, so that's, I guess, the commonality. And, uh, uh, yeah, so we both learnt our trade as employed, uh, well, in various roles, but towards the end, financial planners. And then we both made the decision at different times to strike out and start our own businesses mm -hmm. and become self-employed. Mm -hmm. So that was what we wanted to explore today, how we went about that and why we went about that. And uh, I guess the freedom and the flexibility and the choice that that, that change has enabled. So maybe um, how about we kick off with you, Amy? So okay. just give us a little bit of your background, perhaps up until you, you decided to move to self-employment. So as I talk about in my podcast, the, the vineyard that I developed in the, in the course of my career, um, you know, when, it, when I first started out in 1994, I was a, a rare breed uh, as a woman in the financial services profession. And um, I fell in love with it immediately. I was very fortunate. Um, I worked for a small trust company who taught me so much about estate planning and um, the, the language behind trust documents and um, I got to work in the operations area of the trust department. So I learned the core aspects of things from really the bottom layer down and, you know, gotten introduced to markets in a real safe way, right? Because I wasn't making decisions with clients. I was watching what everybody else was doing. And I did that for only about a year and a half. And part of that is because I'm just always thirsty for knowledge. And so I always say like the fertilizer um, in my roots really um, tends to spurt up at times. You know, I'm willing to, to let it sink in slowly for a little while. And then I just, I really need to, to spread those vines quite a bit once I get to the point where I feel strong about something. So I moved into working, my next sort of journey point was moving into working for a union benefit office. And I worked on their health insurance plans. I worked on their pension plan. I worked on their, what they called annuity plan, which is sort of like a 401k or 403b plan um, in today's world. Um, and did that for a couple of years, but realized that union environment could be quite volatile. <laughs> so um, went back to sort of my roots and said, I really enjoyed work doing the trust company work, but I wanted to work in a trust company that was a little bit bigger. So I hopped to another employer where I, I really feel that's the area that I truly got to cut my teeth because I got a job working in what was called the retirement services group. What we did was we went out and we did 401k open enrollment meetings and um, talked to employers about their plan design, talked to participants about um, for, like rolling over their 401k into IRAs. And as I was doing all of those kind of you know, outreach meetings, people would come up to me and say, well, what do I do about my kid's education? Like I'm saving for retirement, but what do I do about my kid's education? So, of course, that gets you thinking broader and gets you thinking more about, well, you know, there's this whole other aspect of thing out there that isn't investment related, that's about life. And at that point in time in my life, this was after 2001, um, I think anybody that worked in the profession in 2001 that lost particular contacts in the New York City area when, um, when the terrorist attacks occurred, 
it really causes you to reevaluate your life. You, you take mm-hmm. a step back when there's a particular trauma that happens. And, and in the trust department that I worked in, we worked with some traders that, you know, unfortunately were not, did not survive in those attacks. And so um, it, it really, you know, it made, I was working really long hours and, you know, was pulled in a lot of different directions and it made me evaluate my life. And, and at that point in time, I decided to actually go back to college and get a degree specifically in financial planning. And that would allow me to meet the requirements for the education of the CFP designation. So instead of taking the courses that were required separately, I instead just went back to college and got a bachelor's degree in financial planning. Um, And then immediately got back into the profession, of course, worked for a very short period of time in the broker dealer world and said, nope, not for me. (laughs) That is not my cup of tea. Um, I am not good at like GDC terms. So gross domestic sales for people that are commissions that people don't know that term. Um, I'm not a product of the month type person. If you need it, I'll recommend it. If you don't, you don't. Um, so I got out of that and, and went back into the fiduciary world working for what's considered a large firm, only an asset size, not so much from a standpoint of um, people, but um, did that for a few years with their chief compliance officer and director of financial planning along the way, something kept saying to me, I, or I kept saying, but wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if I could work with people my age, right? And all of these companies that I worked with, I mean, when I went out and did 401k enrollment meetings, yes, you know, I was working with people my age to a certain extent, but the people that were rolling over assets, technically, a lot of cases were older, you know, they didn't need, um, I would see all these, like, not, I don't want to call them mistakes, but all these things that they just didn't know. So they, they didn't avoid. And then when they got to retirement, it was a battle to correct them. So I kept thinking all the way through, like, wouldn't it be cool if I worked with people like me, you know, people in my age range that, that generation X, um, very busy building their career. They may have families, they might be helping their parents out. Um, you know, as I got older, that was kind of one of the things. And I, I approached the last company that I worked for and I said, well, what do you, what do you think about creating like a special division that does this? Like, you know, our fees are a little bit um, more monthly based instead of, you know, a big fee up front or a big fee after the plan is done. They're not asset management based, but they're on this sort of retainer model. And honestly, I didn't even know that the retainer model existed. So I just was looking for a way for people to be able to pay for something. Um, I was I was told no that that wasn't the structure of the business, and you know I remember going home to my husband and saying, "All right, I'm 40 years old, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I can't do this for the rest yep. of my life. I love what I do, but there is no way I can do this for the rest of my life. What do you think about?" you know, really cutting back on everything that we spend money on, getting about a year's worth of expenses set aside, and then me, you know, launching my own business. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And in 2015, I um, left the company that I was with at that point in time. Um, You know, we've been, there's been so many changes that we've gone through since then. It's not even 
like that would take a whole separate podcast (laughs) to even talk about. But eventually I got there and the, the stress of starting up a new business, you know, (laughs) emotionally, financially, yes, we had saved the money, but spending it is a whole nother emotion. I really felt like I got um, a dose of what I was asking some of my older clients to do because they had buckets of money that I was saying, you need to spend this. And that was the same thing that we were telling each other. Like we put this money aside for a reason and it's there for that reason. Like don't stress about it. Be careful, but don't stress about it. And I remember saying to my husband many times, like, this is how my clients feel. This is how my clients in retirement feel. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? When you've been a saver and accumulator, the, you know, the, the savings go up, up, yeah. up to see them go down, down, down. Yeah, yeah. Disconcerting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to know what your journey was. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, uh, yeah, it looks, thanks for sharing your story. That's fantastic. Um, so I guess I, um, well, I guess I finished high school and uh, applied for university. What well, didn't have real clarity on what I wanted to do, but applied for, for business uh, studies, business degree, uh, got accepted, but it it wasn't really one that really thrilled me all that much. And so I decided to defer it for 12 months uh, and get a job and then, you know, contemplate a little bit what I wanted to do. And uh, so I picked up a job with a bank. And in fact, I, I went for three interviews and I got two of them. And the only reason I decided <laughs> one over the other is one started two weeks earlier than the other one. And I thought, <laughs> good, well, that's two weeks extra wages. I'll grab that one. So that was, you know, at uh, not quite 18. That was the depth of my, uh, of my career planning at that point. Uh, but so I worked there uh, for, the, for the 12 months and, uh, and that was good. It, it, during that time, I was able to get six months, oh, beg your pardon, six weeks leave without pay and uh, do a bit of backpacking around Europe, which was a good sort of eye-opener to, hey, there's a big wide world out here and uh, continuing to work, bearing in mind the job at the bank was absolute bottom level, you know, clerical mm. type stuff. Uh, a realization that, yeah, there's a lot going on out there and you're not going to get to enjoy a lot of it if you continue in, in a, you know, a fairly low paying uh, basic role like that. So, so that certainly gave me clarity that, look, I need to go back to uni and, and I need to, uh, you know, develop a career here and, and do something a bit more. Uh, and so I spoke to the bank, they, they gave me like a recommendation letter, which was very nice. And I wow. spoke to some universities that I, that I wanted to go to. Uh, and in the end, the opportunity came up for me to, uh, study part-time and for the bank to sort of sponsor me in that. So they, um, the deal was that I had to pay for the fees, uh, which weren't huge at that time, but provided that I passed, they would reimburse, the bank would reimburse me, uh, and so, so that was a pretty good deal. And they gave me time off for exams and they gave wow. me, a, 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 you know, some study time and that sort of stuff. Uh, and so, but it did mean I had to do it part-time. So instead of a three-year degree, it took six years. Um, and for a while, I, I worked four days a week. So that gave me a bit of extra time for the study too. But, but that, was, that was excellent. And it meant that by the time I graduated, I had a degree, but I also had experience. And mm-hmm. I think because the bank was sponsoring me and I guess I was showing that I had a bit of get up and go that, that helped in terms of picking up some promotions and getting some different experience through the bank too. And uh, so that led to some good, interesting roles. And I guess then to fast forward, um, I I got into a financial planning role uh, with the bank and that, you know, fitted with what I'd studied and what I'd found that I was interested in. It was, 
it is a good thing of being in a big organisation and, and doing several different roles. I guess at one point I would have thought that my ideal role was an analyst crunching spreadsheets all day and I was able to get into a role like that and I did it for 12 months and decided that actually I hated it. <laughs> and, but that was good learning, good to know. I mean, I would have thought that was what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, having done a few different roles, I identified that, look, financial planning was a really good fit for what I liked doing. I liked dealing with people, but I did like the analytical side of things. I was interested in investments, that sort of stuff. And so I was able to pick up a role doing that. And so I did that for seven years with the bank. And, and I guess I kind of consider that my, my apprenticeship as a financial planner. Mm-hmm. Um, but very much like you, I, I got to a point where, well, there was a couple of things. For one, um, they were pushing pretty hard around sales that you had to sell. Mm-hmm. And, and that just didn't fit well with me in terms of what financial planning should be about. And so that mm-hmm. really became a, a bit of an issue. Uh, and the other thing was in a big organisation, there's a natural, you're expected to climb the ladder and, and essentially you were a financial planner and then you were a senior financial planner. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're expected to go to be a team leader and, and stop financial planning, which is really dumb. And I know it's not just in finances as oh, a friend of mine's an engineer who's had faced the same problem. If you, you like practicing for quite why you should then stop practicing and become a manager is, is a bit of a curiosity, but um, it seems to happen a lot in in corporate in the corporate world, and and I knew that I didn't want to go to that team leader type role. You just seem to be made in the sandwich, as far as I was concerned, uh, and and sort of destined to be made redundant somewhere in your fifties. So, um, so that wasn't the way I wanted to go. Uh, I, I was sort of sick of the sell, sell, sell type culture, and so I decided in two thousand and six that right, I'm going to uh, go out on my own. And at that time, I had quite a bit of accumulated leave because um, I had been there for a long time and I hadn't always taken all my leave entitlements. So when I finished up, I got about eight months pay. Um, wow. And that was basically, that was my runway, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, my wife was, was on maternity leave, so I was the only one um, bringing in any income. Um, and I sort of look back on that and think, you know, that was a bit sort of crazy slash brave. But anyway, it seemed all right at the time. Markets were pretty buoyant then too. And so I kind of felt, look, if it doesn't work out, I'm sure I can pick up a job elsewhere. So mm-hmm. that was probably why I was a little bit more relaxed about things. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, so that was the point that we, that I made the move to self-employment. Um, fortunately, I mean, I couldn't approach any of my previous bank clients for contractual reasons, but fortunately mm-hmm. a few of them hunted me down, which was very nice. So that reasonably early on, I, I had, small group of clients that at least meant that, that were paying fees, that at least meant I had mm-hmm. my basic overheads covered and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was mm-hmm. good. And, and that was a nice reward, I guess, for, for having done the right thing by people, you know, in, in my past role. Uh, yeah. And look, we went from there in 2008, I, I had an opportunity to buy another business from a planner who was retiring and that was pretty transformational. Um, I think 2008, huh? 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. We can dive into that a little bit more. There was certainly, it wasn't all uh, roses at that point, but, but nevertheless, yeah. And, and actually you'd be interested that we, we struck the deal. So, you know, cause these things take a while to make happen. So we, we sort of hand shook on the deal in November, 2007 and, uh, um, yeah, with settlement, our financial year ends 30 June. So we had settlement 30 June. 2008 but uh, things changed quite a bit between November 2007 and and Mm -hmm. 30 June 2008 but anyway we worked through it Um, so yeah I mean I think everyone goes through challenges and certainly I had plenty 
But that was the key thing. 2006, go from employee to self-employed, and then 2008, uh, acquire that business, which was, which was really important <laughs> for my journey. Mm-hmm. So the influences that affected your uh, <laughs> your wine, <laughs> your <Yeah>. development, <laughs> were um, pretty shocking. I mean, 2006 was it was a great time to probably go out on your mm. own, but then having a new business in that um, period of time where there was global recession, not just you know we we both felt it right. It wasn't something that affected just the U.S. or Europe. It was it was across the whole globe. Um, what, what was it like in, and just out of curiosity, you know, becoming the new face in, in front of these clients that you had just purchased this practice during such a critical time in in the financial world? Yeah. So look, it was interesting. I mean, Australia actually, our economy didn't have a recession during that period, but certainly the share market halved, Mm -hmm. uh, as Mm -hmm. they did globally. And at that time, the business was structured, the majority of, of, our income was generated uh, as a percentage of the client's balances. Mm -hmm. So if the client's balances go down, we get paid less. And so Mm -hmm. that certainly made it challenging. Um, The good thing though, was that I guess people were keen to to have a chat. So um, in some cases, the previous planner introduced me to them, but even if that hadn't happened, I was pretty keen, particularly in that first six months after I took over to see as many of the clients mm-hmm. as possible and introduce mm-hmm. myself and have an opportunity to get to know them. And I guess when times are good, sometimes people are, yeah, yeah, I'm busy. We'll get to it. But when, to- you know, share markets are going down and this sort of stuff, they're a bit more, yeah, I do want to catch up actually. <laughs> I do want to know. So, so in that sense, it was good. Everyone was, was up for a, a good conversation. The other good thing about it was there was no, they certainly couldn't attribute any blame to me. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think it was really very fair to attribute blame to the previous advisor, e- advisor either. But mm-hmm. if there was any blame that they mm-hmm. wanted to attribute, hey, you know, perhaps this portfolio is a bit more risky than I thought it was. Um, certainly, th- they were happy to start with a clean sheet with me. So that was nice. I guess it, it might have been harder in the reverse almost. If I'd have taken over a year or two earlier and then markets crashed, they could have said, yeah. oh, well, it's all because we changed advisors. If the old guy right. was still there, you know, we would have been safe. Um, right. so for, so, so there were some upsides, um, but yeah, look, it, it was challenging. I mean, um, probably the hardest part, um, I did have one, uh, employee who, uh, I had to make redundant and that was pretty horrible. And, um, uh, yeah, I hope I never have to do that again. That was no fun mm-hmm. at all. And so, yeah. you know, those kind of things probably are, are the biggest challenge, but, um, we just had to work through. My wife was very supportive. And in fact, for a while there, she came in and, and helped me with a better admin support so that we didn't have to hire someone else so that, you know, that wasn't an extra expense that we had to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the clients were great and, and, and loyal. Um, not a lot of new business happening at that time, but it was about looking after the existing clients and, yeah. and giving them comfort and, and confidence uh, and, uh, yeah, and look, we, we got through and here we are 2019 <laughs> and we're still kicking on, you know? <laughs> so your wife came in during, uh, it sounds like that period of time. She was on maternity leave, but when you started yes. the business, yep. did she stay home with the kids during that period of time or did yeah. she have a, I was like, okay, so she stayed home and then she came in and she was helping a little bit with the business. That's Ironically, right. my husband did when I first got started as well. Yep. He had enough flexibility and the work that he does that he would help with, um, 
you know, some of the, so that I didn't have to hire somebody, um, not his favorite thing in the world to do. No. Very, very, I don't know how it was on your marriage, but, um, you know, we had to set really defined bar- boundaries because we found that we were talking about work all the time. Right. Cause we were, we were together in the work. We were together after the work and it was 24 seven talking about the business. And it, it seemed it, it created a little bit of a, um, you know, when you're, when you have different conversations, like how was your day and what happened with the kid, you know, that, that does distract your brain just a little bit. And yeah. when you're constantly around the business, thinking about the business, did you find the same thing or because you had kids, it did cause some other outside thoughts? Um, look, we always wrestle with that a little bit, to be honest. Um, yeah. my wife, now runs her own business too. And so we do find if we go out for a walk or something, we often do end up talking business. Um, but probably the main thing that come out of it is just that my wife, Jessica, identify that, hey, the financial world is not where I want to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, <my husband's> <laughs> and, and Which is interesting because actually we met at the bank. So she worked at, at, at the same bank that I worked at um, in a very different role. Uh, but just before the birth of our first child, she was able to pick up a redundancy package, which actually suited well. She'd been there a long time and she got a nice payout. Mm-hmm. So, so that was why there was no immediate maternity mm-hmm. leave role to go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then as it turned out, it, it was helpful that she could, uh, she could jump in and give me a bit of support. So, but it's certainly the support of a partner is important. That's It's interesting <laughs> that you had, had a similar experience. Yeah. I've got the emotional support now. There's no question about that, but the, you know, the, the, the hands-on support, we, we will both admit that um, we are much better at being marriage partners than we are being in the practice working together. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, We would, we would be the same too. It's nice to to have, to to have your own thing too. um, I I think. So how did, I know you said that um, you'd saved up a year's worth uh, of expenses in the bank to enable, to give you that, that runway. Um, what other preparations did you do to work towards going from being an employee to being self-employed? Yeah. Well, I forgot to tell the part of my story that at the same time, um, that I was asking to build this business. Um, so in 2014 was when I had, had proposed this, um, my husband lost an uncle that we were both very close with. And then I lost, well, first I lost an uncle that was only a year older than my husband um, to a type of cancer. And then he lost an uncle that we were very close with to another form of cancer. And so, you know, it was, again, it was another moment. There was that another shock that said, you know, is this what life really is about? So not only were we thinking about starting our own business um, or my own business, but then at the same time, I asked him the the million dollar question that I ask all of my clients that if money wasn't a barrier, what would you change in your life? And my husband made the mistake of saying to me, well, I probably would spend summers in, you know, someplace like Florida, or I'm sorry, winters in someplace like Florida. And, um, you know, the rest of the time in our New York home. And I said, okay, let's do <laughs> let's, that. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start a business. Let's go figure out where we're going to brood ourselves in uh, Florida for those winter months. And, um, you know, let's how, let's figure out how to do it. <laughs> on this bucket of income that we've saved. And 
I think to answer your question, you know, the, the other things that we thought about certainly in, in starting the business was, you know, are there clients that are going to follow? Because I did have in my uh, contract with my employer, I, I was, I guess you want to say smart enough to um, say when I first joined that firm that anybody that comes with me goes with me if I ever leave. Mm-hmm. So those 35 clients that I had brought with me to uh, my old firm all luckily did follow me. So, but the question was still there. They, you know, w- would they follow me? Would they, would they mm. go with a quote unquote startup business, even though they've known me forever? I still had that. Um, um, I got in my own way. My head got in the, in the middle of things and, and I worried about things that never actually ever came to fruition, but kept me up at night a lot. And, and really when it was time to pull the trigger, um, the nausea factor really did sit in because, um, I was very afraid of, um, I have a little bit of bag lady syndrome in me that I'm, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, I'm going to be poor and, um, you know, be the bag lady that we all talk about. And so, although I'm a really healthy saver, I still have a little bit of that syndrome in me and, and, and tend to, um, you know, want that steady income and the benefits and everything like that. So um, we, we had to think about things like, you know, what, what is the longest we can possibly go before I have to go get another job? Mm. You know, what, what would that look like? Um, what was my husband going to do during that period of time? Um, cause we're going to have to lean on him who is also self-employed. So, you know, okay. what kind of income that would we be expecting from his job? What benefit package would we have to pick up? Like what kind of health insurance would we have to be able to, to pick up? We'd have to have that. Um, you know, we worked through how would we design the business? Like I, this was my chance. This is, this is my chance to really build something that I'm passionate about and I can share that passion with my clients and I can, I can create a, a practice where the fee structure feels right. And it's not based on, you know, solely assets under management. It's based on the services that I'm providing. And how do I put all this together? How do I get registered? And, <laughs> you know, what, what do I need to do? And, yeah. and so there was a lot of moving parts, as you know, in, in starting that business. And, and I talked to a lot of mentors. I, I talked to a lot of people that um, weren't necessarily in the business per se, but had started their own businesses and said, you know, what do you wish you would have done differently um, when you started your, what, you know, what do you know now that you didn't know then? And, and really listened to what they said about different aspects of, of starting their own business. And, um, you know, a lot of people said, get a good good tax accountant or, um, you know, make sure your structure is good. I talked to a, uh, an attorney friend of mine that walked me through the actual formation of the business and how I would be most protected and how my clients, you know, how I could separate the business from the personal side and clients would, would get, um, that level of protection as well. You know, when it comes to, um, making sure there's a, a, a clear line between personal and professional. So um, it just really talked to a lot of people. And so, of course, I'm working while I'm doing all this research. Yep. So it created for very long days because I'd work a good 10-hour day in most cases and then have all of these conversations afterwards. And the number of variations of business plans that I went through and designs that I went through, I, I can't even remember at this point in time. But <laughs> 
Um, you know, I, I, when I talk about our, the vineyard, you know, being a, a formation of, of a person or, you know, I, I'm like, I ripped these grapes out and put these new grapes in just to see if they worked, you know, and who <laughs> the climate that was here. And it, it really, I, it, there's so many different aspects and emotion that goes behind it that, um, that I think probably the emotion was one of the biggest things I struggled with and had to prepare myself for. Well, that's a good, that's a good one to explore the, the psychology around um, mm-hmm. going from being an employee, knowing that there's a, a chunk of dollars that are just going to drop into your bank account every fortnight mm-hmm. um, versus becoming self-employed. What you had your 12 months of savings there. So, but as you say, even that, was challenging psychologically <laughs> to burn through because yeah. it went against the grain. What, mm-hmm. what sort of psychological um, issues or, or, you know, thinking about how this can be helpful for the listeners, mm-hmm. what learnings would, did you have there? Yeah, I, I do think that there is, um, I do think we create uh, some of the catastrophic events in our head um, that become bar- barriers at some point in time. You know, there's that imposter syndrome. If if you listen to um, Carl Richards at all, then you know he talks an awful lot about that. Even at his level of success, he talks about imposter syndrome. And I will say that, um, thankfully, from the support of my husband, there were many ledges that he had to talk me off from. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are you sure we should do this? Are you, sh-? you know, a month in, I'm like, oh, maybe I should just go get a job. He's like, Amy, give us a chance. You know, yeah. we're, we're only a month in. At six months in, it was a little less because I saw the, the business starting to develop. At a year in, I was like, okay, but, you know, I'm still on the edge of it and still trying to talk myself out of um you know, not going back to somebody else being responsible for the compensation. But after, I would say after about two years in, then it was like, okay, this is going to work. Yeah. And then it became fun. Yeah. Then it became, you know, I, I felt very like, Hey, not only am I a woman that is in a male dominated profession, I'm also a business owner in a very male dominated profession. And the number of women um, RA business owners is extremely small. So I started to, to think about it from that perspective. And, you know, really that, that was a very, that helps me sometimes when I start to, to, um, to doubt myself in other ways, like, Mm. you know, Hey, you did that. Like, that's right. You did that part. Like you can do the rest of this. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be challenges, but but those first two years, I would say, um, and I I've seen the there's a visual out um, or a saying out there that I've seen many different times, and the, and the the beauty of being a business owner is that you will have many many ups, and you will also have many downs, and sometimes they're within the the five minutes of each other, you know, because <laughs> you get. You get really, really good news and then you're humbled like five minutes later by something that happened. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.